Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This 24-part series on interpreting the book of Revelation was given at Tungling Bible College in Singapore back in 2002. Be sure to get a copy of the textbook by the same title, available from Amazon in your region in paperback and ebook formats, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Maybe we realise, uh, you know, people who say, oh, it's all to happen way down there just a few years before Jesus comes, and so, well, where are we now with what's going on in the world? So I think we're further into the events of it, and I think of this period of time, and what, uh, you know, because I travel quite a lot, what, what we've got to recognise that, you know, God, God is doing something in the church, and I mean, God throughout the world is visiting uh, not just the Pentecostals, you know, the baptism of the Spirit and so forth, it's not just for the Pentecostals, I mean, in, in America and throughout different nations, I mean, God's visiting the Catholic Church in, in certain places, those who have a heart for Him, and the Lutherans and the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and Calipatians and all the rest of it, you know, and thousands of people, for thousands upon thousands in the last number of years, have been receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Uh, but it's, it's dividing the church. So, well, hey, God, you're doing it. You know, if, if we could just say now, back to the spirit of the tongues is just for the Pentecostals, but it's not. God loves his people in every demon nation at the nomination. Okay? And, and he's visiting his people. Now, why is God doing this? Because God's got something in mind about he wants to seal his people. He wants us to be born again of the spirit, water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking after him and living a life of holiness because of what's coming on the earth. That's it. And God's doing it. So why is God doing it? And, and, and see, the issue is for so many people, oh, I'd love the baptism of the Spirit, but if you just leave those tongues out, well, tell it to God on the day of Pentecost. You know, why? 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 I wish God had left it out. But he didn't. And I know you can buy shoes without tongues today. <laughs> But if you really want to dance in the spirit, then. <laughs> okay, one quick one, then we just, just have to keep going. Um, we need to, just very briefly finishing off this, then we go into chapter 8 a bit. We need to understand the distinction between tribulation and the wrath of God. Okay, so the church will go through tribulation. So. Uh, don't, don't try and take all these scriptures down, but I'll just give you the point I want you to pick up. The church will not experience the wrath of God. So what I've done here, these are they that are coming out of great tribulation. So what I, I did on this, and you can just make the seat note on this, go through your concordance on the word tribulation, and the word tribulation simply means pressure. Okay, pressure. In the world you will have tribulation. So the saints will suffer and experience tribulation. You know, people say, oh, the great tribulation, oh, the wrath of God. No, the church will suffer and experience tribulation. In fact, the, the Latin word for tribulation is tribulum, and tribulum was an instrument that was used to beat the chaff off the, off the wheat once it came to maturity. That's all. So tribulum, uh, so a threshing instrument, so pressure. So the church will experience tribulation, pressure, and it's increasing throughout the world. There's no doubt about that. But not the wrath of God. So saints will experience the wrath of Satan. So we must distinguish between that. Saints will experience the wrath of Satan against the church because 
Satan hates Christ. He hates the church. He hates the body of Christ. So saints will experience the wrath of Satan. And saints will experience tribulation. So these scriptures here talk about tribulation. In the world you'll have tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Tribulation works patience. How many want patience? Okay, expect tribulation. Alright. Uh, and so Paul goes through and in the, the church having tribulation. Over on this column, put down a note of going through the word wrath or wrath. And uh, you can call it here. So here, the wrath of God, and Paul says the church, we are not appointed to wrath. What do you say? Wrath or wrath? Wrath. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So the church is appointed to tribulation, but the church is not appointed to wrath. Okay. And so in the book of Revelation, uh, the great day of his wrath is come. And who will be able to stand? That's under Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. And under the sixth seal, when people see signs of the sun, moon, and stars, they say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. While they reject the blood of the Lamb, the only alternative is the other side of Jesus. If you reject the blood of the Lamb, the other side of Jesus is the wrath of the Lamb. And the great day of His wrath has come, because that's what we're headed for. And so, from Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, 17, 11, 18, 14, 18, 19, 15, 1 to 7, all those references speak about the wrath of God. And so what's the wrath of God? The wrath of God against blasphemous mankind and the wrath of Satan against the church. So just very briefly, you need to understand. So I don't believe the church will go through the wrath of God, will experience the wrath of Satan, because he hates the church, but the church will experience tribulation. And that's going on in the world today, no doubt about that, and going to increase. So we've got to understand that distinction. So I just felt I needed to, to say that. So the main thing is just get that down at uh, the bottom there. Okay. Okay, now what we want to move on in this session, having touched at least on the high spots here, uh, the seven seals, so we've done the first seal, White horse, second seal, red horse, third seal, black horse, fourth seal, pale horse, fifth seal, souls under the altar, martyrs who experience tribulation, pressure, not the wrath of God, and then the sixth seal, personally I believe that's next on the list, signs of the sun, moon, stars, earthquakes increasing, and then these visions. So vision of the sealing of the 144,000 Israelites, and then vision of the great tribulation multitude coming out of great tribulation. All right, now we want to give uh, this session here over to seal number seven, the seventh seal, silence in heaven, and the golden censer. So, Revelation chapter eight, verses one to five uh, on your notes there, page seven. Okay, let's turn over to Revelation chapter eight, here in Revelation chapter eight in the Bible. just uh, read the first several verses there. Okay, Revelation chapter 8, and uh, we'll, we'll go through uh, verses 1 through to uh, 6 here. And when he had opened the seventh seal, so if you can just sort of get the sequence of events, six seals have been opened, 
And between the opening of the sixth and seventh seal, uh, we have these two uh, uh, parenthetical visions, sealing of a company and unsealing uh, those uh, uh, numbered company, unnumbered company, two different companies. Okay, now verse one. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth, into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, I'll say this by way of introduction, and we're going to uh, pick this up more fully. Uh, someone gave me some questions too. Uh, this, is, this is what I see happening, and I'll repeat it again later on. Um, Say, so we have the seven seals. Now, there, there are some of my friends in a particular school who say, uh, I'll just, uh, if I do this, uh, they, they, their approach is what they call, don't want to spend too much time on this, but I have dealt with it, uh, what they call progressive parallelism. So progressive parallelism. And what they, this is how they put this, let me start again. What they, what they hold, and uh, I, I put textbooks in the, in the textbook I've done, they say that the seven churches and the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath are all one and the same vision, just looking at it from different angles. This is from the church point of view, this is from someone else's point of view, and from something else, and they say that all these are one and the same thing, so they say it's all just running progressively parallel right through to the second coming of the Lord. So that's, that's, uh, that's that approach on that. I would not hold that. I would say no. The, the approach I would take is just like a video, just like a movie. So we see the basic sevens, the four major sevens. So uh, we have the seven churches covering Revelation chapter uh, 1 to 3. Then after the seven churches, we see seven seals. And these cover basically chapters uh, 4, 5, right through to 8, almost. And then after that, we have the seven trumpets. And these cover chapters, Revelation uh, 9, uh, no, 8, 9 through to 10. And then, uh, just skipping something here for the moment, the last major seven is we have the seven bowls of wrath, uh, and they cover Revelation chapter uh, 15 and 16. Let me throw this in while I'm on it. Between chapter 10 and chapter 15, we have a period of time spoken of as basically three and a half years. And this three and a half years covers Revelation 11, 12, 13, 14. At least those. So 
that sort of gives you a picture. I'm going to give you a diagram on this. So this is how I understand it, that there, because some say, well, the seven bowls and the seven trumpets are just repetitions of the same thing, all one and the same thing, saying, so, no, just hang on a minute. If we just don't surface read the book and surf the net, what you find is there, the seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal, and the seven bowls come out of the seventh trumpet, that each of the sevens come out of their sevens. So there's no seven trumpets until the seventh seal is open. And there's no seven bowls until the seventh trumpet starts. So each of the sevens come out of their sevens, and they all end at the seventh day of the Lord, the second coming, which ushers us into what I call a Christian millennium. So that's something you've got to think about, okay? So each of the sevens. So they're not just repetitious. In fact, I'll say this while I'm on it. Seven seals introduce certain judgments. But under the seven trumpets, we'll see, hopefully, that the word third, one third, is used 12 times. 12 times, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the grass, a third of this, a third of the seas, a third. So under the trumpet, it's a measure of judgment, a third, 12 times. But under the bowls, it's full judgment because the bowls are the full wrath of God. These are judgments, but the bowls of wrath are the wrath of God. In them is filled the fullness of the wrath of God. And why? Because when you get to Revelation chapter 9, from now on, it says, they repented not, they repented not, they repented not, they repented not. Showing something has happened in mankind. Whereas back here, repent, 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 repent. Once we get to this period of time, they repented not, they repented not, they blasphemed God, they blasphemed God, they blasphemed this sanctuary, because we're hitting a time of blasphemy. That's how it is there. So that's, they're, they're the things that you've got to consider. So that's the picture. I'll give you a diagram that will uh, illustrate this more fully, uh, the, the view I hold. Okay, now let's go to Revelation chapter 8 in the light of that. Now in the passage I've just read to you, Notice again the master key where we are introduced. We are back to the language of the tabernacle that John is using. And in this diagram, again, we see this. So let's keep trying to pull the loose ends together. We've looked at the golden lampstand, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. We've looked at, just alluding to, table showbread, the 24 elders, and the crowns that they cast before the throne. We've looked at the souls under the altar, out here in the outer court. Now John in vision is brought to the golden altar, the altar of incense. So he's moving in this uh, video that God's given him from article to article, so to speak. We're, uh, we've alluded to that in chapter 4 and 5. It's empty there, it's, uh, clear as crystal. But now we're, we're brought to here. All right, now several things I want you to note about this. The altar of incense 
is just before the second veil. Just before the second coming. On the Day of Atonement, and the whole scene, I'll just have to make statements here, the whole scene that John is looking at here has to do with the Day of Atonement. Because on the great Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest came to the altar of incense and listened to the language. This angel, and uh, I just have to say it uh, without trying to prove it, uh, that this angel, I believe, again, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, this is what we do. We would do what the Roman church uh, does on this. The Roman church says, another angel came and uh, stood at the altar having a golden censer was given to him. Much incense, so Roman church teaches that we can pray to God through angels. Well, we can't. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. So, uh, as I said yesterday, we cannot even go to God direct. We come to God through the Son. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. So this represents the Jehovah angel, the messenger. Remember the word is messenger. And this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen him as the high priest judge, as the Lamb of God, as the sealing angel. Because no angel can give you the baptism of the Spirit. No angel can pray your prayers and take your prayers to the Father. Otherwise, we're praying through angels, and that's a Colossian heresy of angelology, which is going on a little bit in the world today. I get sidetracked on that. And uh, in US and a number of countries, there's books on angels everywhere. But uh, what sort of angel? So, the Jehovah angel. Now, he is given a golden censer. And he offers it on the, uh, with the prayers uh, of all saints upon the golden altar before the throne. Now, you'll notice here that there are two altars in this. He came to an altar and he had a golden censer. Now, in this day of his atonement scene, the only time that the golden censer was particularly used was on the great day of atonement. So what the high priest would do, and this is what Jesus is fulfilling, all the Johnson titles, the high priest would come to the brazen altar and he would take the fire off the brazen altar and he would receive the incense from the Israelites and from the golden altar, he, uh, from the altar of bronze, of brass, pardon me, he would go to the golden altar and offer the incense. On the day of atonement, he entered within the veil into the most holy place. And see, in Revelation chapter 11, 19, we see the Ark of the Covenant. So it gives you the whole picture that we're looking at here. So, listen to the language. So he came, another angel came and stood at the golden altar, the bronze altar, I'm going to put the word in there, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So two altars connected here. And the smoke of the incense. Uh, ascended up out the angel's hands. So I believe that the scene that we're looking at here has to do with the Day of Atonement. As I said yesterday, the church has experienced Passover, church has experienced Pentecost, some are still catching up with the Feast of Pentecost, church is yet to fully experience all that was shadowed and typified in the Day of Atonement. Now, what do I believe is happening here on the practical side? I believe that the spirit of prayer and intercession is going to and is increasing in the church. 
There have never been so many prayer seminars and prayer summits and prayer and fasting with what's going on around the world because I believe we're approaching this time. So I just see the spirit of prayer and intercession uh, increasing in the church in these last days. And we can say amen on that. Amen. Why don't you put the, uh, this idea down here. As I've studied the word over the years, God gives to every nation and every individual this type of thing. And uh, this would be an hour session if I did it properly. What I, a message I do on the cup and the censer. And you'll find in Genesis 15, Matthew 23, right through, having done this through the total Bible, and I'm just drawing from so much study here, that God gives to every nation, an individual, a cup. And this cup is referred to as the cup of iniquity. And God said to Abraham, and Jesus said to the Jews of his time, you have not yet filled up the cup. So when a nation or an individual fills up their cup of iniquity, then that cup is turned upside down upon that nation or individual in judgment. Now I'm making heavy statements here, but I've done the work on it. But now on the, that's on the negative side. So I think nations today that are filling up their cup of iniquity. And we wonder why certain judgments are happening in the earth. I think of the millions of babies that are being aborted and the slaughter of the innocents and the innocent blood that is screaming to high heaven. And God is just filling up that cup of iniquity. Think of the whole homosexual revolution and so forth. Just filling up the cup of iniquity. And God says, the nation that brings that, 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 the generation that brings that cup to its fullness, it is turned upside down in judgment. How, how many hear what I'm saying here? Pretty solid, but I could spend a whole hour on this, what the Bible says on the cup. Okay, now, on the positive side, and this is where we're supposed to be, we are in the church. And the church, God gives to the church, maybe I'll get pretty colours off here. God gives the church a censor, so to speak. And what are we to do? We are to pray and pray and pray and intercede until that censor is filled up. Everybody hear what I'm saying? And the generation that brings that censor to fullness, listen to the language, and the smoke of the incense, the prayers of all saints. And the smoke of the incense came up with the prayers of the saints, sent it up before God. Now, there's an action here in verse 5. And the angel took the censer. What did he do with it? Filled it with fire on the altar. And, listen to it, he cast it to the earth. Please note, he turns the censer upside down. I'd like to spend the whole hour on this. Challenge you to pray. He turns the censer upside down and the moment it happens and casts it into the earth, there's a reaction in earth. What is it? Voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. The seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl all end alike. Voices, Thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. And any time you see those expressions, 
It's signs of God coming into activity in the earth. That's the picture you have. So it's an awesome picture that we've got here. Prayers of the saints, intercessions, filling up the golden senses. So uh, that's all I can say on that. I just want to encourage you. Pray, pray, intercede. Fill up the golden censer for your nation. As for every nation. There's going to be a generation that's uh, going to bring it to its fullness. So the generation that fills up this cup of iniquity comes under judgment. The church or the generation of Christians that fill up the censer will come under revival. That's why revival and judgment run parallel. Always have. Always will. That's the picture that we have. So that's the scene that we have in Revelation chapter 8, the first few verses. All right, everybody get the picture there? I'll ask you a question. Yes. So I believe the spirit of prayer and intercession increasing through the earth and in the church and uh, things are getting worse in the world and they should be getting better in the church. That's the picture. So I'd like to encourage you to pray and continue to seek God for revival in your country as I do in mine and throughout the world. Okay, now, the moment that happened, what happens in uh, Revelation 8, verse uh, 2, I saw seven angels, seven messengers, and in this case angelic messengers because of what they do, uh, stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So seven trumpets. And after the censer was brought to its fullness, and it was turned upside down. So, may I say this is how I understand this. At the moment, we might say, spiritually, symbolically, the sense is still upright. And uh, there's lots of prayers. They have never been answered. Wonder why they haven't been answered. We still keep praying. And I used to encourage our people, still keep praying. Send up the incense, symbolically. Send up your prayers. Send up your intercessions. Keep filling the censer. Because there's going to be a generation that brings us to its fullness then it's turned upside down, then something happens in the earth. Either revival or judgment, in this case both, as we're, as we're seeing. Now, once that happens, then we're told in verse 6, and the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Alright, now. You go to chapter 8 now in your outline, and this is what we're going to touch on very briefly. These are all trumpets of judgment, except the final one. So, the first trumpet, and I want to come back to that moment. First trumpet, we have hail, fire, and blood in the earth. Second trumpet, we have a burning mountain. And third trumpet, this is in the outline. So you see these are trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God of his Christ. So it gives you an idea. Revelation chapter 8, 9 and 10 and 11 covers the seven trumpets. That's why I've made this section 5. Alright, now, I want you to go over to, uh, you've got that in your notes, I want you to go over to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Now, as you're uh, just turning to Numbers chapter, uh, chapter 10 here, notice the progression of trumpets here in the book of Revelation. And again, this is my fixation. I've gone through trumpets in the total Bible, 
and the total New Testament. So this is what John is seeing. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. First use of the word trumpet in Revelation. I said yesterday, a lot of people looking for the rapture trumpet when they haven't even seen these other trumpets. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, I'm in the spirit of the Lord's day, hear the voice of a trumpet. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. So that trumpet has to do uh, being in the spirit with the seven churches. So blowing of trumpets, feast of trumpets. Then the next use of the word trumpet in Revelation is chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. And now John says, the, the, the voice that I heard as a trumpet, like in chapter 1, he hears that same trumpet voice and he's in the spirit again, like it was in the spirit there. And the voice said, come up higher. So again, he hears this trumpet voice. But this trumpet is in regard to seven seals. First trumpet in regards to seven churches and their condition. Next trumpet in regard to seven seals. Now, we come down to where we're looking at now, Revelation chapter 8. And when the seventh seal, there is no seven trumpets till the opening of the seventh seal. You can't say that the trumpets, or you can say it, but it's not consistent saying the trumpets and the seals are one and the same thing. The seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal when he opened the seventh seal. Then he saw seven trumpets. So Revelation 8, 9 and 10, right through to 11, we have the seventh trumpet, and uh, the seventh the seven seal, pardon me, and then seven trumpets. And these are trumpet judgments. Now, when we get to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19, then we hear the seventh or the last trumpet saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. So we have to see the whole thing. So people say, oh, well, the rapture trumpet, we've got to get the rapture in here somewhere. So, well, the rapture comes at the last trumpet, Paul said, the last trumpet. And the last trumpet I find is in Revelation 11, 19, which means that these seven trumpets and this other trumpet, this other trumpet, all gone on beforehand. That's the picture. All right, now, Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. And uh, verse, uh, for your notes, you can put down verses 1 through to 10. Then we'll read it and then break it up for you here. And, and remember that John's mind is just saturated with the Old Testament. He's an old covenant language to describe new covenant realities. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. Uh, you should make them of hammered work. You should use them for the calling of the congregation, for directing the movement of the camps. Uh, when they blow with them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather you. When you sound the advance, or the alarm, uh, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that are, lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call to them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. Uh, the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and th there shall be to you... Uh, these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feast, at the beginning of your months, you will blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a memorial uh, for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. 
All right, now, I'd like you to just take down some things on the trumpets here. In Numbers chapter 10, uh, we have the making of two silver trumpets. So you put this as an aside on a blank page there, if you like. So we're looking at trumpets here. So we have two silver trumpets. Notice they are silver trumpets, not brassy trumpets. Silver, we assume, where did the silver come from? Redemption money. Everybody in Israel was redeemed uh, with silver, half a shekel of silver. Uh, so the trumpets of silver. So from one piece of silver, we have two trumpets. So two trumpets, uh, two is the number of witness. So trumpets. Then, the, in the passage I read to you, there were nine uses for the trumpets. So nine uses. That's what I want you to put down here. So nine uses for the trumpets. Number one, and you, uh, and you see, what, what I've done, uh, Al, Al of Strongs and Corners, I hold this up so you can see it because I know you can't see it. <laughs> but, but, but I've got a copy of Strongs and Corners, every reference to trumpets. So for my own study, so you get my little fixations here, I've gone through every reference in the total Bible on the use of trumpets. So it's helped me to understand Okay, what does Jesus say? In Matthew 24, Jesus said that uh, after there will be signs of the sun, moon, and the stars, what's the seventh thing he says? Uh, there will be a great trumpet that will gather the elect from one end of heaven to the other, under the seventh trumpet, the, uh, or that the, the, the great trumpet, Jesus said. Mark and uh, Luke says the same. When I come to Paul, what does Paul say on trumpets? All right, he says, the dead in Christ, that when Christ descends, he said, the dead in Christ, um, no reflection on anybody here. A Baptist brother told me this. Uh, a, a, brother, a Baptist brother said to me, you know who's going to be first up in the rapture? He said, the Baptist. I said, well, where do you get that from? He said, well, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. Okay. A Baptist brother told me that. Alright, so, anyway. So, so, so what does Paul say on trumpets? Well, Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, we which are alive will be caught up. But the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and the archangel. Then when I put Paul again, so well, that's what he says in the Thessalonians. See, people say, oh, that's a rapture trumpet. No, it's not. Then when I go to Corinthians, what does Paul say then? He says the dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive, we're going to be changed in mortality. But then he adds another word, which he didn't put in Thessalonians. He said, at the last trump. So I have to put what Jesus said about trumpets and what Paul said about trumpets, because everybody bases a secret rapture. They misinterpret Paul and say, well, that's the rapture trumpet there. But Paul said, the last trump. So then I say, okay, well, John, what do you say, John? Well, is John contradicting Paul? Is Paul contradicting Jesus? Or do they all believe one and the same thing? They all believe one and the same thing. What I believe. <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, you're a pan-millennialist. It all pan out regardless of what I believe. But God put it there for a reason. So when I go to John, so I say, oh, this, this is what Jesus said about trumpets. And this is what Paul said about trumpets. And this is what John said about trumpets. And I know that Jesus, Paul, and John will not contradict themselves. 
Peter didn't say anything about a trumpet. He, no, he didn't. He couldn't play. He didn't know how to suck. <laughs> he didn't know how to suck or blow. You know. <laughs> I used to play in the Salish Army band once. He said, "Now I can't even suck or blow." But. Uh, uh, yeah, so what does John say? So when I put Jesus, what he says on trumpets, and what jo uh, Paul says on trumpets, what John says, it all works out that the trumpet that gathers the elect, what Jesus said, and the last trump, and the, and the trump of God, and the voice of the archangel, it all corresponds with the seventh and last trump. That's it. Without any contradiction. Okay. Thank you, Kevin, for that very interesting point. Okay, so nine uses of trumpets in the, in, in, in the Bible. So number one, trumpets were used for the calling of the assemblies. So you have to put yourself back in the camp of Israel. See, this whole thing, you know, the tabernacle of Moses, souls under the altar, the golden lamps, the stand the golden altar of incense. I mean, we're just seeing the whole thing. So number one, for the calling of the assembly. So whatever tribe you belong to, whether you belong to the tribe of uh, Issachar or Hebulun or Reuben or the Baptist tribe or the Pentecostal tribe or the Methodist tribe or the Calathambian tribe, whatever tribe, the trumpet was used for the calling of the assemblies. Number two, second use of the trumpets was for the journeying of the camps. So when the camps had to journey, and God said, the cloud's gone, move with the cloud or you're going to die in the wilderness and build another denomination because the cloud's moved on. <laughs> the journeying of the camps. And, and this is the tragedy of church history. The cloud of God has kept moving and we keep building our different denominations around an experience and the cloud's way up there. Some of you are looking at me like a careless <laughs> Number three, third use of the trumpets was the calling of the princes. Calling of the princes. So when the princes were called together, only one trumpet sounded. And God's calling leaders together today. One trumpet. Leaders, leaders, leaders. Get together. Because the churches are not going to go anywhere unless the leaders are on the ball. So... If two trumpets blew, then it was the leaders and the congregation, but if it was one trumpet, it was for the leaders. And there's never been so many leadership conferences. We are leadership conferenced out, just about. But God's calling the princes. Number four, fourth use of the trumpets is for the blowing of an alarm. Sound an alarm. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm. So, you know, some of the things I have to say, they're alarmist. Yes, I need to blow an alarm. Now then we need to blow an alarm. Warn people, this is what's coming on the earth. But see, oh, don't be an alarmist, everything's fine. But, no, there's a time to blow an alarm. So blowing an alarm. Number five, trumpets were used for war and enemy oppression. So when there was enemy oppression and war times, someone had to blow the trumpet. And we talk about today, lots of oppression, war, enemy oppression, enemy oppression, demonic oppression, enemy oppression. Number six, another use for the trumpets was it was to be blown in uh, times, uh, days of gladness. So days of gladness. Celebration times, Sunday gatherings, gladness. 
I was sad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's in the reverse version. Okay, I was glad. Amen? Yeah. Number seven. Seventh use of blowing of trumpets was calling solemn assemblies. So that was calling the nation together for prayer, a time of prayer, fasting, seeking God. Day of Atonement was particularly a solemn assembly. So, how long since we had a solemn assembly? Or do we always want to be happy clappy? Not here. So, solemn assembly. So, there's days of gladness, solemn assemblies. Number eight. Eighth use of blowing the trumpets was for the beginning of months. So, at the beginning of months, trumpets blew. Blowing of the trumpets. New month. This is what God, this is Passover month, this is Pentecost month. Going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Going to celebrate Passover. Not pagan Easter. Pagan Good Friday. Number nine. The ninth use was the trumpets were blown over the sacrifices. So as people had brought their sacrifices to the Lord, there was the blowing over trumpets. And, and God said, when the trumpet is blown over the sacrifices, God will hear the trumpet. When the trumpets are blown, God will hear and he delivers his people. So God worked with the trumpet in Israel. Alright, so nine uses of the trumpets. And you see those all being fulfilled in the Old Testament. And then all of them here. When Jesus comes a second time, finally the calling of the assemblies, journey, we're leaving this old planet Earth, we're gathering together unto him. Okay, one other thought I'd like to give you here is who blew the trumpet? No, two other thoughts. Uh, who blew the trumpets? Very interesting that it was Aaron and his sons. And he had four sons. So Aaron and his four sons. Five. So it wasn't every Tom, Dick and Harry running around the camp saying, I'd like to have a little too. <laughs> Very interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in the tongues chapter, if you please. Paul says in the Tongues chapter, if the trumpet will give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to battle? And so I just say in a lot of the Pentecostal world, there's an uncertain sound. They're tanging away and tooting away. <laughs> and see what confusion there would be in the camp. Oh, oh listen, the trumpet's blind. What, what, what's that trumpet for? Um, oh, yeah. I, I haven't got a clue. Why don't you give a clear sound? So the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers should be giving a certain sound. Not like they say in Australia and New Zealand, if you can't convince them, confuse them. That's right, Safety. Law of preservation, self-preservation, very strong in my bulletproof vest. Alright, so, uh, a certain sound. Now, if the, if the Aaron and his sons, when they were originally five, had to give a certain sound, so every time Dick and Harry didn't run through the country and confuse the tribes with an uncertain sound, on the, on the people's part, what did they have to have? They had to have an ear to hear. Oh, what's that trumpet message? Oh, this is a solemn assembly. Oh, no, this is a day of gladness. Oh, this is war. 
And so many people in ministries are being running around the world confusing people with an uncertain sound. People don't know, well, I'm all confused. I don't know what it's about. You know? You need to be clear. So you have to learn to play the instrument, make it clear. Am I making it clear? Yes. yes. Thank you for the underwhelming response. <laughs> okay, turn over to Numbers chapter 28 quickly. Just a couple of other things here. Oh. Numbers 28. Uh, Numbers 28. Uh, no, uh, Numbers 29, sorry, Numbers 29, verse 1, just one other verse here. So, so I want you to get the connection between the golden oil of incense and the, the seven trumpets, the, 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 the censer and so forth, and uh, coming out of the seventh seal, Numbers 29, and in the seventh month, well, we're looking at the seventh seal. On the first day of the month, have a holy convocation. You'll do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. So when the seventh month came, like the book of sevens, the seventh seal is open, blowing of trumpets. So through the land, blowing of trumpets, blowing of trumpets. And what were the trumpets for? Numbers chapter 29 and verse 7. And you shall have on the tenth day of the seventh month, a holy convocation, you shall afflict your souls, not do any work. It is the day of atonement. So on the first day of the seventh month, there was the blowing of trumpets throughout the land, and it was calling people to prepare for the day of atonement. That's the picture we have. That's what Revelation, is, uh, Revelation 8 is about. Preparation, calling people to prepare their hearts, get ready for what God is doing in the church in these last days. But I would, I would encourage you to uh, just get your, uh, you know, make a note of it. Get your strong concordance and do what I've done. And that's why I'm making the statements I do. I've gone through every reference in the total Bible in all the New Testament on trumpets, a use of first mention, progressive mention, how it's applied, and how the New Testament writers do not contradict anything about the use of the trumpets and how Jesus, Paul, and John they are the only New Testament writers that talk about trumpets. Let's see what they say, because Paul, the Jesus, Paul, and John do not contradict each other. When you correspond what they say, then you um, come and see that uh, the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet. All right, I think I've covered everything I need to in that session. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.